Welcome to Ace Field Retro. We're here discussing AW Dynamite from February 2nd, 2022. And I am right now solo waiting for the arrival of Nick the Comic Nerd. Uh, but we're going to get right into it and talk about the AW Dynamite episode that just went off the air about 25 minutes ago. And it was a great episode. Uh, so we'll get into the wheeze about it and talk everything about the episode that you want to know about. If you've missed it, you're in the right spot. Uh, we will go match by match, segment by segment. Uh, there is not one detail that we will not talk about here on Ace Field Retro. So I do appreciate you hopping on here with me. Uh, again, Nick the Comic Nerd will be joining me shortly. Um, if you guys pop into the comments, give me your thoughts on the show. Let me know what you thought about AEW Dynamite. Uh, and maybe in comparison to the Royal Rumble, in my opinion, I think there's been a lot of conversation negatively about the wrestling world and what went on at the Royal Rumble and the bad stuff that happened during uh, that event and maybe people feeling a certain way after that event ended, I felt the exact opposite way as uh, we went off the air tonight on TBS. So before we kick it off, we got the news last night that Brian Kendrick would be joining the AEW roster and would just be facing Moxley in, in a match on Dynamite. People were excited. People were getting pumped up to see Brian Kendrick finally being able to get out of the, uh, the WWE orbit as a trainer and, and possibly show what he can do when given, um, I guess, free reign in the ring. We know how talented Brian Kendrick is and how much he's accomplished in the wrestling world. Uh, but some things were dredged up from his past, and Tony Khan had to make a decision. So I, I think two hours prior to showtime, he pulled him from the card. So if you guys didn't hear why, and maybe you turned on the show and saw Wheeler Yuta wrestling John Moxley and thought it would have been Brian Kendrick, or maybe you didn't even realize – that it was someone different. Uh, but Brian Kendrick was pulled from AEW Dynamite due to past comments. And you guys can go on Wrestling Observer or wherever you get your wrestling news and find uh, this video in the comments. And AEW President Tony Khan had no choice but to uh, take him off the card and, and get rid of him. But he uh, sent out a tweet that had mentioned that these comments were abhorrent and offensive. Um, so he was scheduled to wrestle John Moxley, probably in a losing effort. Uh, he would have been a welcome addition to the card, but again, one of those guys that not worth the PR risk of having him on there, especially if there were some bad things that went on, whether it was, you know, three weeks ago, three years ago, it doesn't really matter. And this, the, this, these comments that surfaced were from 2013 from a high spots interview, uh, which if you guys don't know, high spots does a lot of shoot interviews and they, you know, get guys behind a mic and they give him free reign to say whatever they want. And in 2013, they released a, uh, a video called Brian Kendrick Presents the Kendrick Theory. And then uh, Brian Kendrick said some things on there that I'm sure that uh, if you listen to him, maybe you, you will feel exactly the same way. So I won't get into the details exactly what was said. Uh, but let's just say that Tony Khan had every right to pull him from the show. And he did the right thing. So Brian Kendrick was removed from the show. Uh, and again, you guys can get the details on that and figure out why, uh, but I definitely agree. And Tony Khan uh, just made the decision knee jerk, not dealing with any of the backlash and just pulled him from the card. And it was the right decision. And for someone like Brian Kendrick, uh, it's not worth the PR risk of even having him on the card of you know, guilty to proven innocent, blah, blah, blah. The video is there. The video is proof. You guys can see what he said. And although it was in 2013, it doesn't excuse what he had said. So uh, greetings to Brian Kendrick and, Will you got an opportunity here to open dynamite and let's just pop right in there enough talking about Brian Kendrick and those things and the negative stuff. Let's talk about the opening match here on AEW dynamite. And um, 
it was a hot crowd from the start. They opened up in Chicago. Chicago's sort of become their home away from home. We all obviously know that Jacksonville uh, is their home. And especially all throughout the pandemic, we saw a lot of good wrestling that took place at the Daly Center or Daly's Place, I should say. And it had become home for them. But Chicago, I would say, is their second home. And after months of back and forth uh, and MJ, MJF throwing members uh, of the pinnacle in front of CM Punk, they were finally going to face each other. Uh, the announcers from the beginning were hyped, talking the match up. And just from the beginning, this match had a big, um, this event had a big match feel uh, to everything. The crowd definitely added to it. And I think that's a huge difference between the WWE shows and the AEW shows. You have a crowd that is authentic, a crowd that's very into the product. And Chicago is a great wrestling city. Uh, and there's no added crowd noise. These guys just go out there and they were hot all night. And the opening match was no different. So we saw John Moxley defeated uh, Wheeler Yuta, who I mentioned was replacing Brian Kendrick. Uh, and he had Orange Cassidy and Danhausen by his side. So it looks like we have Danhausen being part of Chaos for Best Friends um, or just loosely affiliated right now. I'm sure we're going to get more details about that. Um, so that is something that to watch out for. So as I mentioned, the opener was supposed to be John Moxley versus debuting Brian Kendrick but he was pulled uh, due to conspiracy theory comments that resurfaced today. Um, of note, Brian Kendrick apologized on Twitter during the show and Yuta was his replacement. So uh, if you follow Brian Kendrick on Twitter, you guys can see that he apologized, but kind of too little too late. And as I mentioned, Brian Kendrick's one of those guys that he's not irreplaceable. He was on the card probably to do the job to John Moxley, not worth the headache, just get rid of him. And he has to fade to the shadows, unfortunately for himself. He, uh, you know, he made the comments he did. They're on video. It's not like it's he says, she said. He made the comments. So it's not like we're sitting here and uh, wondering if it's actually true or not. We can see the video for ourselves. So uh, I think that's all the evidence we need. And again, Tony Khan, no, hesit no hesitation, leading by example, just took him right off and can't blame him for what he did. Uh, so John Moxley defeated Willa Yuta. Um, so I would say, honestly, this match was a great opener and it was a good opportunity for Willa Yuta to show what he has. And I think Willie Uter is one of those guys that has been uh, in the background. He got a little bit more uh, on on screen time when uh, they needed to call him up when Trent got hurt with the best friends and he's earned his spot on the roster. So we saw Moxley took down Uter right away. The younger opponent showed some fire and stood up to Moxley, but Moxley beat him down the floor and then peppered him with chops inside the ring. Moxley raked Yuta's back and went for a superplex, but Yuta uh, pushed him right off and downed him with a dropkick. So they're giving some offense to uh, Wheeler Yuta, and I thought this was uh, really telling. Moxley had given him a lot in this match, and from the beginning you knew Moxley was getting the win here, but the fact that uh, Yuta got so much offense was really good for, for Wheeler, and I thought he actually looked really good in this match. So at ringside, Moxley exchanged looks with Orange and Danhausen, and Yuta used the distraction to land a crossbody on the floor. He followed up uh, into a German suplex. Uh, top rope splash got two more. Moxley countered a, a Castador into a sleeper, uh, laid in ground pound and hit the paradigm shift for the win. So after the match, this is the bigger story here. So after the match, we saw Brian Danielson immediately appear in the ring. So, and I think they've been hinting at this match happening. It seems like that Danielson and Moxley would be the next program for both of them. And in my opinion, it's, sort of a dream match. It's not a match that hasn't happened before. If you go and, you know, I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head. 
But I'm almost positive Brian Danielson and John Moxley have wrestled before in WWE, especially with all the um, the the inter intertwined history with the Shield uh, during that time period where Brian Danielson was uh, main eventing. So there had to be some crossover where they wrestled each other. But I would say it's still a dream match because right now this form of Brian Danielson is the biggest the biggest and best version of himself, as is John Moxley. So. Looking at the two of them right now, it would be an absolute dream match. And they they took a different approach here. And obviously, it could wind up going in the direction where they're going to be wrestling each other. But for right now, they're going in the direction where Brian Danielson is hoping that John Mox will take him up on his offer to team with him. So, like I mentioned, Brian Danielson appeared in the ring. Uh, he exited the crowd, wanted to see them fight. And of course, the the hot Chicago crowd agreed. We want him. We want them to fight. Uh, Danielson said that for a long time he wanted to see them fight too because he was different, uh, putting over Moxley in a huge way. He said that he was watching when he was world champion and had said to this day he is the best AEW world champion. And I thought that was awesome. It spoke a lot. And obviously, Brian Danielson has his history with Kenny Omega, has his history with Hangman Page. Um, but it said a lot that he actually thought Moxley was the best champion. And this could be just the character Brian Danielson playing a heel and trying to just get what he wants by buttering John Moxley up. But I thought it, would, it really put Moxley over huge right here. When you take a look at the lineage of the AEW championship in a short time in existence, John Moxley being named the best champion in J uh, Brian Danielson's eyes is uh, a big feat. So Danielson realized that when Moxley lost the title, he and Moxley shouldn't be fighting. They should be teaming. Uh, and he quoted, there's no reason why some millennial cowboy should be AEW champion. There's no reason why somebody dressed as a dinosaur should be AEW tag team champion. There's no reason why someone whose main contribution to society has been a vlog should be TNT champion. Together, you and me could run this place. Interesting concept, burying the champions that are there in a heel way. Obviously, we know that Sammy's more than just a vlogger. We know that uh, Luchasaurus is more than just a guy dressing like a dinosaur. And of course, we know Hangman Page is more than just a millennial cowboy. Uh, but this is cementing Brian Danielson's role as a permanent heel certainly seems that way because of the fact that we had, you know, obviously blurred the lines a little bit where Brian Danielson was going after the championship with, with hangman page. Uh, maybe he was just playing the heel role in that way, just because he was happened to be facing hangman who's beloved with the fans. But now it looks like he's staying as a heel because all those guys that he was ripping on are all faces. So um, I love the character that Brian Danielson's bringing to the table here. He certainly, um, has like I mentioned, like I mentioned before, he's one of those guys that, at his age right now, forty plus, he looks like he's in the best shape of his life. His matches are the best quality that they've been ever. I would put up the matches he's had in 2021 and so far in 2022 against any matches he's had in his career, and his character work is is awesome. It's it's not, you know, typical heel, typical face. He is just being Brian Danielson. He wants the championship. He wants to take over AEW. He wants to accomplish things. And it doesn't matter if the fans like him or not. They happen to be a fan of who he's wrestling. That's fine. He's a face in that way. But they happen. He, if he happens to be going up against a guy they like, he's okay with being booed too. And I think that's a unique character. Um, so he's doing a great job. So as I mentioned, he proposed um, taking young guns to, he put over a guy like Wheeler. So Wheeler getting a huge rub during not only this opening match, but the opening segment. Uh, Brian Dennis had mentioned what, ha what would happen if we were able to mentor a guy like, Yuta Wheeler or Daniel Garcia or Lee Moriarty uh, under their wings. So then he quoted again, even if the fans don't like me, they like what I'm talking about. 
Um, and then he closed by asking Moxley just to think about the greatness they could create and the legacy, legacy that Moxley wants to leave. Um, just a side note, I had mentioned in the past that Daniel Garcia reminds me of a young Brian Danielson. So just the idea that pulling away Daniel Garcia from the tragedy that is 2.0 and putting him with a guy like Brian Danielson, or even if John Moxley decides to team up with him, would just be absolutely fantastic. I think Daniel Garcia would be a huge, huge, huge sensation with them. And it's just what he needs to get him to the next level. And I, I think having Brian Danielson by his side to uh, mentor him, and I'm sure he's given him tips in the back anyway, but having him teaming with him and, and him being taken under the wing of Moxley and Danielson has me intrigued. And I know it was just mentioned in passing. Uh, but knowing that AEW, and we saw the main event tonight, which I won't get ahead of myself, uh, that they don't do things as you predict them. You know, a lot of times with WWE or past wrestling companies, we pride ourselves as wrestling fans of knowing exactly what's going to happen because we've seen it all. It's hard to redo stuff in wrestling because wrestling's been around for 100 plus years. Uh, we've seen all the types of storylines. We know what a heel turn looks like. We know exactly where they're going because we can read their minds. But Tony Khan, as a creative wrestling fan, he's loved it his whole life. He's taking a different approach. And right here, we don't know. Like I say, if this was a WWE storyline, uh, you would know that Moxley is going to take the Stone Cold Lone Wolf approach, and he's not going to take Danielson's offer. I'm not so sure. Now, this reminds me a little bit about the inner circle interaction that we had and uh, when Moxley was feuding with Chris Jericho all the way back when in 2020, where John Moxley was offered a spot in the inner circle and he accepted after all that time or like, no way he's going to join doesn't seem realistic. And then eventually we had the turn where he smashed the bottle over Jericho's head and continued to feud and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think we might see a, a union between the two. And it is an interesting take because it's just delaying the inevitable. We're going to be getting a match between the two. The two of them are going to be going at it and the match is going to be epic. Uh, but why not have some good tag matches in between putting them together uh, should provide some interesting dialogue, interesting segments, interesting combinations and matches. Uh, they're two guys I really never thought about putting together as a team. Uh, they fit well in the ring. Their styles definitely meshed well uh, with Brian Danielson being a classic technician and John Moxley being a brawler, hardcore type of wrestler. Uh, I love the way they match up in the ring because they challenge each other. But teaming is very interesting as well. And, you know, I would love to see them being put into the tag division because as I mentioned before, during uh, shows in the past, that it's hard when you have such a, a top-heavy roster right now to find things for these main event guys to do. And I think Brian Danielson and John Moxley providing, I guess, a thematic theme, a thematic arch, an arc of finding a way to cleanse AEW of all the the stuff that they are not a fan of. Call, calling Orange Cassidy a joke, calling Danhausen a joke and wanting the best to rise to the top of AEW, that's what they have in common, as I'm wearing the mock shirt right now. Um, I think it's it's interesting because the easy way out would just to be have them wrestling each other, right? I mean, it would be a great match. You have a guy like Moxley, a guy like Danielson would put on a great show, and they can go probably three matches. But I think it's even more interesting if you team them together prior to getting to that match. So... I certainly love this segment. I didn't see, honestly, I didn't see it going this way. And ultimately, it could go to the, it could go, you know, Moxley could just turn around next week and we could just have the match coming at Revolution and this could all be for naught. Uh, but I'm interested to see if Moxley at least takes him up on his offer just for the time being, because I at least, at least piqued my interest because it is something different 
for Moxley to be doing because I think Moxley needs a little bit of a direction. Uh, he's done all of the lone wolf stuff. He obviously has had his time with Eddie Kingston, uh, but there's just, just all of that dynamic is so interesting because they're two diametrically different characters. And I think the two of them really make for an in, interesting uh, dynamic together. Like I said, their styles mesh together, but as a team, I never really even considered it. And I give them a lot of credit because it's something I didn't think of. And like I said, watching wrestling for a long time, all you can ask for from creative is to come up with logical storylines that are new and refreshing. And this certainly seems refreshing in my opinion. Uh, so we'll see where you go. And I can't wait to ask Nick about this. Nick, will, Nick again will be joining me in about five minutes. So he'll pop on here. Uh, and obviously I'll ask him about the Danielson stuff, but he mostly wanted to come on here and talk about the main event, which was indeed the highlight of the show. So the next segment here, um, well, we had a video package for CM Punk versus MJF prior to the segment. So not going to spend too much time on that, but they are really hyping that matchup as a huge, huge main event and a pivotal point in the company. And it wound up being that, in my opinion, it lived up to the hype. And I'll talk about why. And I'm pretty sure just through my text messages, text messages with Nick that he disagrees with me. I'm very curious to see why. Um, I think him and I are going to go at it and talk about uh, our differing opinions. And I can't wait. But next segment, have to talk about it. Brandy Rhodes was in the ring and she insulted Chicago. She's a full-blown heel. Not a great segment. Uh, she was interrupted by Dan Lambert and the Men of the Year, who said Brandy needed a reality check. Lambert called Brandy fake in more one, more way than more ways than one. Uh, he said he almost feels like the decent human being standing next to Brandy. Uh, she came back by saying the only reason AEW hired Ethan Page was to get close to Joss Alexander before insulting American Top Team. Lambert insinuated Brandy was a prostitute and she slapped him. Lambert brought out Paige, uh, Paige Van Zant, who attacked Brandy. The women's locker room emptied and separated the two women. You know, like, so obviously Cody is playing that tweener role and he does it so well. And he lets all the booze roll off his back. And it comes so naturally. They're trying to do the same thing with Brandy here, and it just doesn't play well. I don't think she has the same composure that Cody has in the ring and during these segments. And she def definitely doesn't carry the same weight that Cody does. Um, so every segment that she's in usually misses for me. So, and this is another one of them. And it just so happened that Dan Lambert was involved. Uh, it's no wonder that it's not a, a meaningful segment in my eyes. You have Dan Lambert involved. Again, uh, Paige Van Zandt. Attacking Brandy, we're going to get the match between the two, but I'm left here asking who cares, truly. Um, you know, it was kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. And I'm not too critical of the AEW Dynamite shows, but that's certainly something I could live without, in my opinion. Let's move on to the next segment here. We had Matt Hardy in the AHFO. As we know, Andrade had purchased the HFOs, so and now it's known as the AHFO. Uh, very Ted DiBiase. 1980, 89, 1990 type of type of um, storyline here where he's playing the million dollar man purchasing talent. Um, and I think I can predict where this is going, especially if they have eyes on getting Jeff Hardy into AEW and at least having one more nostalgia run. And I've been against that. I think I've been pretty vocal about that. Uh, but it seems that Tony Khan has a little bit of a fire lit under him because of the fact that WWE has offered Jeff Hardy a, a Hall of Fame spot, and they offered him a spot back on the roster, but it seems like Jeff uh, is already done with them because of how they burned him with the 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 failed test that wasn't really a failed test and all the stuff that went on into that. 
So I think Tony Khan's even more motivated to get Jeff in because uh, WWE wants him. And there's something to be said about getting uh, getting motivated to get something because somebody else wants it as well. Uh, so I, I ultimately see this segment, uh, this storyline going in a spot where Matt Hardy's going to lose everything. And you know what happens to a man that loses everything. He becomes broken. So I think we're going to see the return of broken Matt Hardy. We're going to get brother Nero coming in and we're going to get the whole, whole, whole thing that we saw an impact. The thing that, that got Matt Hardy over huge as a singles wrestler in impact. We're going to get that here. I think we're going to get the whole broken universe. I think they're going to give it one more run in AW because we didn't get the full, the full broken universe because it happened during the pandemic, his debut. People forget that whole, the drone came out. It was in an empty arena. It didn't, it didn't happen in front of fans. He didn't get the, the pop. And I think we saw him transition to big money, Matt, you know, I, I don't have to look at the timeline, but it was somewhere at the end of 2020, maybe early 2021. And I'm not huge on it, but I give Matt a little bit of credit for just not leaning on what has become just sort of, you know, his bread and butter, just being this character. He could, he could coast off into the sunset being this character, but similar to Chris Jericho, he's trying to reinvent himself and I give him credit for it. Uh, so I think we're going to see Matt Hardy eventually lose it all. And then Andrade is going to be taking the HFO from him and Matt Hardy will be left with nothing. Uh, but during this segment, Matt Hardy and the HFO were backstage. So we saw Blade, we saw a private party, Matt Hardy, and then Andrade walked up. So Hardy said he was disappointed in private party last week before challenging Sammy Guevara for a TNT championship uh, against Isaiah Cassidy, as he wasn't the one who lost. Andrade El Idolo walked up and asked about why they haven't brought Darby Allen into the fold, but Andrade didn't have a good answer. Matt Hardy hyped Cassidy up uh, to close things. So they're sharing leadership right now. Andrade is sort of, uh, I think he owns 51% of the, a the AHFO. Matt Hardy has 49%. Uh, if, if not, not if, if not for anything, Darby Allen versus uh, Darby Allen and the Andrade segments, funny him going into the locker room and finding Darby sitting there. Um, and then he pulls the bat out on him. It just, it's been funny. And I'm not sure if that's the intention right now, but uh, it certainly is interesting. And I think, it's nice to see Andrade on TV on a weekly basis. And I think this gives him purpose. Uh, so I'm hoping that it kind of puts him to the next level. And I think it's, like I said, the modern day million dollar man where he is using his money to build him himself and army around him to protect him. Uh, and at the very least, I think it's going to help Andrade move to the next step, or at least hold him over until they're ready to use him in a main, in a main event uh, capacity. So Pretty uh, decent segment, but the next match, let's move on to that. We had the Kings of the Black Throne, Malachi Black and Brody King, defeating Death Triangle, Pac, and Pentel Saramieto with Alex Aberhante. So this is the first time we're seeing Pac return since getting uh, since getting the mist in his eyes. So Pac was blindfolded and had to use Aberhantes to assist him down the ramp and into the ring. I thought for sure they were going to go go to a, a place where they were going to have maybe Pac try to wrestle uh, blind and I was curious to say the least how they would pull this off because I didn't see it being successful as I mentioned before we remember all the way back to the blindfold match with Jake the Snake and Rick Martel which was a disaster uh, but it's been done before and I guess you could work a style where you can't see and try your best to work work a match without your vision 
Uh, but it wound up being a ploy by Pac, and thank God because we were able to have him wrestle wrestle to his full capacity. It was great to see him back. Um, we saw Pac start off with Malachi Black, and he used he used his sixth sense to avoid a strike. Sixth sense, quote unquote. Um, Pac followed it up with a trip and a running drop kick before tearing off the blindfold. He and Penta then took out the Kings with simultaneous flip dives. So I love the Death Triangle together. Everyone in this match worked really well together. Malachi and Brody King are just are just different. They're uh, they're just a great team, and I know I hype them up every every week, and they certainly are a high point every time they're in the ring, every time they do a segment. And this was no different. This match was great. Um, Pac is awesome, like I mentioned before. It was great to have him back in the ring, uh, and all these guys really put their all into this match, and it certainly showed. Uh, just when you put the right teams together, how much win or lose that they do for each other. So even though Pack and Penta did lose this match, I think it did. I think it did wonders for the both of them because they looked fantastic in this match. They got some offense on uh, two formidable foes like Malachi and Brody haven't been made to look at all weak in any capacity, uh, and they were able to get some really, really good offense in on them. Um, I, I just think they, I just think they really are a step above everybody. I think eventually we're going to get the tag titles on the on the Kings of the Black Throne. Malachi and Brody are going to be tag champions. I think following Jurassic Express. Uh, if it's not in, in a couple of months, it's going to be soon. It's happening, and I think it's it's justified because right now they are just an amazing tag team, and they're must see TV for me when they're on there between the entrance and the music and the attire, the move set, the tag, the double team moves. Uh, just everything about them has been great. So back in the ring, Pack held Black down along Penta the land of dropkick to the posterior. Death Triangle continued to beat down Pack until King entered the ring, took down took down Pack uh, with an overhand clubbing blow, allowing the Kings to take control through the commercial break. Once back, Pack reached Penta for the hot tag. He hit sling blades onto both opponents to take them out. A backstabber followed for two. Pack got a blind tag and traded strikes with Black, who gained the upper hand with a run and drop kick. Pack came down with a German suplex and a brain buster for two. This is the one time I think we've seen House of Black, Kings of Black Throne, whatever you want to call them, uh, look a little vulnerable. So like I mentioned before, although it was in a losing effort with uh, for Pack and Penta, they certainly looked uh, very, very formidable. And I thought this was a great, great showing for them, even in a losing effort. So for the ending of this match, we saw Penta took out Brody with a plancha and step up flip dive. He and Pack both landed thrust kicks on, on Malachi. Uh, they wanted the fear factor stomp combo, but King pushed Pack off the top and Black used the Black Miss and the Kings of King. The Kings hit Dante's Inferno for the win, uh, which is a cool double team. Like I mentioned before, it's awesome to see both of them uh, working in, in unison. And for a huge guy like Brody, he moves around like a luchador. So I'm sure people that haven't seen him before are super impressed. I happen to be familiar with his work from Ring of Honor. I've seen him uh, working PWG. I've seen him all over the place. Uh, but he is finally getting recognition on the national stage, and I think he's going to be a huge star. So uh, I was very impressed with this match and certainly was like a high point of the show for me. Um, we have Nick the Comic Nerd joining us, popping in here, having a conversation. What's up, Nick? How are you, man? Thanks for joining What's going on, man? What's up? Not much. We were just talking about the show. Uh, I know that you were able to catch most of it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're, right now we're just finishing talking about the Kings of the Black Throne defeating Pac and Pentel Sermiero. Uh, as you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of Kings of the Black Throne. Uh, I thought this match was awesome. Do you agree with that? Yeah. 
I did, I'd say I got to see them walk out, but I didn't get to see them wrestle. So I jumped in here at a good time. I'll uh, like I said, I was telling you in texting, I was like, oh, I got to throw that on as soon as I get home. Yeah, the the match was awesome, and like I said too, it. it I think what they're doing really well, AEW, in a lot of ways, is even in losing efforts, guys are able to look good. And this was a huge, a huge and great example of it because Malachi and Brody have been so dominant. They've just been unstoppable. Malachi uh, has been unstoppable on his own, but now that he's added Brody, I, th- I think no one has gotten any offense on them in, in any way. And there were points of this match, too, if you wanted to suspend belief a little bit, that Pack and Penta had it won. They had the fear factor ready to go. They had the match almost over. And if it wasn't for Malachi cheating with the mist, who knows what would have happened. I thought that was a huge rub for Pack and Penta because, you know, you can suspend belief that maybe they could have won the match. And, you know, that alone is a huge rub for me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, um, Zero Maedo without uh, – what's his face for a while. So, um, but with Ray, Yeah, without Ray Phoenix is going to be an adjustment for sure. Yeah. So, I think – Obviously, they're keeping the death triangle stuff together, and luckily for our, for Penta, he has Pack as like you know Pack is back too because at some point Penta was going to go off on his own for a bit. Uh, but I, I'd be curious to see Penta go off on his own as well. I know it's a, a different yeah. subject, uh, but you're right; it's it's a different dynamic. I think Jr. said it when he came out. I know you didn't watch the the match, but he had said it's getting it's odd to see him without his brother Ray. Okay. Cool. I think Ray's coming back soon, though. I mean, like I mentioned before, I think the injury was like supposed to be four weeks because there was no torn anything. So he should be back. I mean, at some point. Amazing. Yeah. So that That should be so terrifying to watch. Perfect timing for a six-man championship. You're right. You put him in. You you turned me fully on board to that. I I would love to see it. Listen, guys, if you guys are still on the fence about it and have not watched the video. Uh, a few Sundays ago, I released the video in defense of the six-man championship. Go back and watch it. Let me know what you think. Maybe you disagree with me, uh, but I think I make a really good case for why the six-man championships are, would be really valuable to the AEW roster. And you look at a match like this. Imagine this being for the six-man championships. You throw in Miro with Malachi Black and Brody, and then you had Ray Phoenix with Pac and Penta. It would just be an a- absolutely epic match. Uh, it was a great match as a tag team match, but a six-man match is even more dynamic. Uh, so before I move on to the next segment, did you see Brian Danielson's offer to John Moxley? Yeah, what that's the only part of that I saw. I only ended up seeing um, I only ended up seeing after the match. So uh, I don't think Mox is going to take it. I don't think he wants to be a part of a duo like that. Um, I have a feeling maybe like Danielson will come out one of these days and help Moxley with something. I don't know. The whole thing was a little bit twisted. I like what they're doing because I think it'll eventually turn to them turning on one another in some fashion or another. But, you know, I think this will be one of those things that it'll go on for a couple of weeks, which is cool. I'm excited to see what they do with it. So, yeah, I think inevitably we're going, like you said, we're going to get the match between Moxley and Danielson. It's a matter of when. And I think this is a roundabout way to get there. So it'd be cool to see them tag for a bit before Moxley gets sick of uh, Danielson. But uh, Danielson was making some points when he was saying about the the champions and about the roster and he could really make a case and sort of drive it home that he wants to support serious wrestling because right now there's a divide. We got the Dan Housen stuff. And I know that's been sort of divisive and the conversation's been, uh, you know, despite Dan Housen being so popular with the merchandise and the views on YouTube that AW doesn't need another comedy character. I fully disagree with that. 
But Brian Danielson as the character could lean into that and try to be this AEW cleanser where he's supporting, like, listen, I'm out there busting my ass as a serious wrestler while a guy like Orange Cassidy is a sloth and Dan Housen's being Conan O'Brien that's evil. And there's no room for that in AEW. And I think that could be Brian Danielson's uh, campaign slogan. And you could really have some real heat on him because I think Dan Housen and uh, Orange Cassidy are one of the more popular acts in, in AEW. Yeah, no, I like it. All right, let's go back to where we were in the show. So we have Adam Cole reacting to the loss last week backstage. This is what I had said last week, that they're leaning into the fact that it was an unsanctioned match. Adam Cole saying he's still undefeated because Orange Cassidy match doesn't count, uh, and he doesn't get the respect he deserves. On Rampage, he will face Evil Uno, and after that, the world will know what Cole wants. So it seems like we're getting a different side of Adam Cole. So people were... were hesitant about the fact that you you had someone like orange beating cole but i think this might have gotten the you know something else out of cole maybe we're gonna get you know a side of cole that we haven't seen yet in AEW, and i think maybe he's gonna start of uh, entering into the main event fray maybe he'll be uh hangman's next challenger yeah no i'd like to see it um you know maybe it's still a little too early but at the same time you know we've seen what he can do and we haven't seen him fight alone too often. So, I mean, that Orange Cassidy match and then a few others here and there. So it'd be cool to see him face like a really big opponent again. One-on-one. Yeah, on one. Adam Cole, he just seemed a little bit different this week. Usually he has a little bit of the cocky smirk on his face. I think this Orange match sort of turned him where he feels like, I don't get the respect I deserve and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push through people. And it reminds me a little bit of what Danielson did on his way on to Hangman where he used the Evil Uno and the Dark Order to... Uh, prove a point and stomped all Dark Order's heads in. Maybe Cole's going to go out there and absolutely obliterate Evil Uno and make a point of it and try to establish himself as a serious threat. I mean, everyone knows how good Adam Cole is, uh, you know, whether it be kayfabe or not. He is a, a top guy immediately on upon entering the company. Uh, but I think right now he's trying to establish himself as a serious threat similar to what Brian Danielson became. No longer like the yes guy where you're happy to see him. We want Adam Cole, the absolute killer. Yeah, I think it'd be cool, too, because, like, I was, like, thinking about it the other day. Like, imagine him and Britt as champions together eventually. Like, I think that'd be really cool. It could be one of those things you set up, like, a tag team for. Or, you know, you put him over the top. I mean, he's going to stay there. And I think, you know, I always talk about the fighting champion every single week we're on here. And it's just more of what I want to see, you know. So, I like it. Um, I don't think he's Hangman's next cha uh, challenger, but I think he'll be in line. Yeah, neither do I. I think they're they're waiting on Cole, and they should because he shouldn't jump the line. I think there's some other guys there. Uh, but it just speaks to the depth of the AEW main event roster where there are guys like it's it's hard to pick who the next champion is because there's a couple guys that you could just, you know, put right there next on the list. And I think Cole is there. Um, I personally would put the title on MJF. I think he's the next guy. And we'll talk about MJF and talk about everything that happened tonight because I thought tonight was a huge, huge pivotal moment uh, and putting the banner behind him and saying, you're the guy. But we'll talk about that. I want to get into it because I know that uh, you and I have differing opinions. Maybe I, that's what it seemed like. Uh, but I, I like this with Adam Cole. I like that they're leaning into that. It was an unsanctioned match because that's what you have to do. He's a bad guy. That's what, that's what the true facts are. His record on, on when he comes out to the ring on his banner, will still say zero losses, despite him being pinned by orange Cassidy and the facts saying otherwise, He's going to lean into it, and he's still undefeated. Yep. So, I mean, 
I'm not a huge fan of guys that are undefeated because I think it puts you into a booking pigeonhole that you're like, you're stuck with trying to book around this guy losing and trying not to match him with somebody else. Eventually it's almost better to have everyone with, you know, two or three losses because it's unpredictable. Absolutely. And look at someone like Ruby tonight, Ruby, Ruby Soho was undefeated for a bit and then eventually she lost, but now she's like 15 and three. I mean, she lost tonight, but so she's like 15 and four. Oh, that's still impressive when you look at that record when she comes out. It's not like it's not impressive. Right. So. Yeah, no. It's uh, it's something where it's like those four losses probably feel like one to her. You know, and right. to the rest of us, it's the same way. Like, you know, like you give Adam Cole a loss. Like, it's not going to hurt him if you do it right and you have him lose to the right person. Like, you know, that's the big thing. It has to be a good match. And it will be a good match. Like, you know, the Orange Cassidy match, like if that counted as a loss, that wouldn't have hurt Adam Cole. Like the I whole thing was so well. So sometimes it's okay to like to have an opponent that just beats somebody. Like we you went to we look at WWE all the time, and not that I want to compare it with them, but I said at the beginning of the show, I felt much differently watching this show than I did when I watched the Royal Rumble, uh, because of the fact that you knew you were gonna get an ending and you knew you were gonna get a finish. And I you know the more I sat there and and dealt with the Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns non-finish. I kind of liked it, but it also, it, I liked it in a WWE orbit because you kind of expect the worst with them. Uh, but the lack of commitment to making a decision and then dealing with the shrapnel that comes from that, there are con- certain consequences you have to make when you make a booking decision. Like a guy loses, you just deal with it. And where do you go next? I right. feel like AEW has the ability to take a guy like Adam Cole and, he could lose three matches in a row and you could still get him back to a main event spot because there's a way to build him back up and it's through wins and losses. And I think losing to a guy like orange just elevates orange back all the way there. And I think orange needed that win more than Adam Cole did. Certainly. Absolutely. We talked about for a while, Adam uh, orange Cassidy felt like he was just like an afterthought. Like he hadn't gotten a big win in quite some time. Yep. No, hundred percent. You know, I like it. All right. So we're moving on to the next match. I, I mentioned Ruby Soho here. Uh, so this was Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero defeating Ruby Soho. So Soho attacked before the bell, but was flattened with a lariat. She came with a trip and soccer kick. Rose caught a corner escape and turned into a Samoan drop for two. Uh, she continued to dominate for a long time, including uh, through a commercial break. This match was decent. Uh, I guess it was just one of those matches that it was quality wrestling. It, it, you know, if you missed it, you didn't miss anything. Uh, but Nyla Rose is seeming like she's on the upward swing and getting that push again. She wasn't losing a lot of matches, but she just wasn't booked. Like she just looked like she was on AEW Dark for a while. Yeah. It looks like they're trying to build her back up, whether it be for Jade Cargill or build her back up for uh, eventually Britt Baker. So former women's champion, one of the strongest characters on the roster women's wise. And I'm not sure if that's um, a criticism of the women's roster, if he, she's one of your strongest characters, but uh, they're definitely building her up for something, and she pre- she beat Ruby pretty uh, handily here. Uh, yeah, so she beat her with the beast bomb. Uh, it was a weird ending though, because like Soho went for the kick, and she completely completely missed it, and then she hit a senton. So it seemed like it was a botch at first, but it played played into the ending ending sequence. So it seemed like it was purposeful, but it looked weird. Yeah, um, yeah, it was almost like she slipped on the kick out. I don't even I don't even really know. Like it was very odd. Um, yeah. I will say I'm. I mean, I never thought of you know. I know who Nyla Rose is, and I've like we've watched her wrestle. 
I'm becoming a fan. I think she's good. Like, I think she is like doing that, you know, powerhouse thing. And I think it's working for her, you know? Yeah. She's one of the, you know, more like bigger female wrestlers that I think is doing a fantastic job. Like, I look at the ones, not like we want to compare, but I look at the ones in WWE, like, was never a Nia Jax guy. I always thought she was dangerous. Same thing with this Dewdrop girl. Like, not that I think she's dangerous, but I don't think she's a good wrestler. And I look at Nia Rose and I'm like, this girl can wrestle. Like, she has a set move. She knows what she's doing. She's taking the fall. She's taking the hits, you know, and then she's throwing them. And to me, Nia is kind of, you know, on my on my radar now. Like, I, I like her. I think she's going to do something big. And I think there are people she can wrestle in there. Yeah, absolutely. She's been, you know, a really, really good addition to the roster, and she's bided her time. She was the second ever women's champion. She lost to Riho when Riho became the first women's champion, and then she kind of slid down the card after losing to Sheeta. Uh, and she's sort of, like I said, she's been on the roster. I don't even think she was hurt. She just sort of was with Vicky on Dark, and every once in a while she'd pop up on Dynamite. But it seems like they're cycling her back through, and I think they're getting ready to – like I said, either challenge Jade as a face or to give her feed her to Brit again. I don't think ultimately she's going to beat Brit, but as a former women's champion, it's a nice formidable threat because a lot of people that are wrestling Brit, there's really no one believable that can beat her. I think Nyla, if you build her up right, I guess it would be believable if she could beat her at Revolution. I guess I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, you know, out of those two, which one I want to see her beat? I mean, just saying. What do you What do you mean? You know, I hate Jade, dude. I can't. I can't oh, yeah, do of it. But, you know, I think it would be cool to see Nyla and Jade feud over the TVS. It would be cool to see Nyla be a, a threat there, especially, you know, I, I don't think it's time for Jade to lose the title yet. But if Nyla is to eventually win the TVS title, immediately elevates it. She's a former women's champion. So, you know, that would take it to the next level. And I think the TVS title is being booked pretty well right now. It's getting showcased yeah. on Rampage and Dynamite. It's all over the place, and you're seeing it a lot. Uh, but you know, if you really want to take it to the next level, you can put it on a former women's champion. I guess uh, that does help it. Yeah, I think this. I think this is good because I think, I think you're gonna see Nia come out there like every, you know, every week almost and wrestle somebody decent and somebody good like on her level or a name we all know like she did tonight. Like everybody knows Ruby Soho, and I think that can lead her towards getting her chance for the TBS title. That's what like, but that's just because that's what I want her to face. You know, I just you know I don't I don't want Jade. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I mean, terrible. the thing is, this match was pretty good. Ruby is one of those people that she's a good wrestler. You know, yep. I think she's like she's she's there. I mean, she's a quality wrestler, and I'm glad she's able to do, you know, have her, her run in AEW because she wasn't being utilized in WWE, and I think she was a waste of talent there. Uh, but that doesn't mean you know I think she's kind of found her her spot in the car. She started pretty high. People thought she was going to be women's champion from the beginning. And now she's sort of settling in the card, but similar to Nyla, like just because you're settling in the middle of the card, or maybe the bottom of the, the women's division doesn't mean you can't rise back up. So, I mean, absolutely, I think, I think Ruby's time will eventually come, but right now it seems like the stock of Nyla Rose is rising. So we'll see where they go. So we have the gun club cornering jungle boy backstage. And this reminds me of like a backstage wrestling segment where uh, jungle boy tried to fight them off, but they pushed him outside in the snow uh, Luchasaurus and Christian Cage ran out and chased them off, but like Jungle Boy took a legitimate bump in the snow, that huge pile of snow. He was soaked everywhere. He had like the salt on his knees. A uh, cool segment. Uh, kudos to Jungle Boy for taking this bump. We're definitely moving towards Gun Club versus uh, Jurassic Express, and yeah, I'm starting to feel like Gun Club has a legitimate chance to win. I know they won't, but they're doing a good job building them up. 
Yeah, I like the idea of building them up. Um, I agree with you. I don't really think they have a chance to win. My other thing is, too, though, like, I do want to see Jurassic Express wrestle a little bit more often than they are right now. I do like the promoting and everything. I think it's good. I think it's leading to something good. You know, I think the Gun Club are great wrestlers, all three of them. Um, but to me, it's kind of like, okay, like, let's do this. And, you know, what's because my big thing is what's going to come next for Jurassic Express? You know, when they won the belts, we saw everybody come out. So it's like, all right, the Gun Club. And, you know, I want to see who they're going to keep going with. So, yeah, I mean, the Gun Club, you add them to the list of potential six man champions, the three of them. I know Billy is not really in ring active, but he can be when he wants to be. So, right. Another three-man team, just saying. Uh, but like you said, I think Jurassic Express uh, defended the titles on Rampage against Private Party in a pretty good match. Uh, but you're right. We're seeing a lot of the Gun Club and the Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus feud being built up in backstage segments. And it reminds me of, of segments as a kid. Like that really reminded me of the Attitude Era where they're out in the snow. And specifically, I have this vision, vision in my head of this match. And I know it's going to be obscure to a lot of people. Uh, but at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 1999, so famously known for Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold in the cage, where Paul White, a.k.a. the Big Show, debuted for the first time in the WWF. There was a hardcore title match between Big Boss Man, no, or Al Snow, it was Al Snow and Hardcore Holly. And it was, the show was somewhere near the Mississippi River. And they traveled outside and they were, they were literally wrestling in the Mississippi River and it just sticks with me for some reason. And like that to me was peak WWF hardcore championship in the attitude era. And for some reason that meant the most to me as a kid, like I used to love the hardcore championship. Um, so I don't know that jungle boy segment, even though it was short, it just like was amazing to see them out there, like in the street being thrown around. It was like, that's what I used to love about wrestling. And I forgot that I used to love it because it hasn't happened in so long. That's really cool. I would love to do a segment where I talk about, or Anyone that wants to come on here and talk to me about it, just best moments outside of the ring. Like I'm even thinking of when uh, the rock threw stone cold's championship into the river or like when stone cold blindfolded Kurt angle and he thought he was drowning. He pushed him into a little mini pool. Like all that stuff is a classic and some of the best moments of wrestling happening, not in a ring and it's cheesy and it's campy sometimes, but it's just cool. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a nerd, but I just love that segment was just cool and it was so short but so well done. No, I, I get it. I think that's cool too. I mean, you know, one, it brings back the memory like you were talking about. Two, it kind of shows that like there's other things than just being in the ring because when I got back into wrestling, I was one of those people I would fast forward until I got to a wrestling match. And sometimes the best things happen outside the ring, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing, you know. Yeah, it opens up um and I didn't think we would talk about the segment as much as we are, but because it's such a small part of the show, but it opens up with this like multiverse where, you know, like they're interacting, not just in the ring. It just feels like the backstage area is just like full of all these characters. And I remember what made wrestling so intriguing, especially as like a 10, 11, 12 year old watching WWF was the fact that like they're in the locker room together, although they're not wrestling in the ring somewhere back there is stone cold. And like the undertaker have to like go through catering together. And like what happens if they interact and, what happens to the camera catches them? Like, there's something cool about it. And I thought yep. AEW did a good job capturing that tonight. Yep. I always think about it like, you know, the show ends or the show begins like two hours before the show. Like, everybody is sharing a locker room. Like, I'd love to be like a fly on the wall for five minutes. 
you know, and just hear what everybody says when they walk in, like see their introductions to each other. I don't know. You know, like I'm not saying everybody gets along because that's not the way the world turns, unfortunately, but like think about who's like probably best friends back there. Like you wouldn't even know, you know, and I think that's great. Yeah. I, I just love stuff outside of the ring. So if they, they do more of that stuff, I would love to see it. And I would even love to see like a hardcore type of match. I'm not saying all the time. I don't think a hardcore title has a place in 2022 wrestling. Cause it's just been overdone. We see it with the 24 seven. It's not, it doesn't work anymore, uh, but it's sometimes cool to have matches that just go all over the arena and then all over the ring. So, um, yeah, that was, that was my take on it. Let's moving on to Hangman page. Uh, the promo when eventually interrupted by Archer next week, we are getting the Texas death match. We talked about it last week. Uh, Hangman and Archer are going to be wrestling over the AW championship. You and I both agree that it doesn't seem like there is a shot that Archer wins the title. Uh, but if this is a nice little mini feud for Hangman Page, let him get a, a nice decisive win, probably get bloodied up, have a big moment here. This will be his third defense of the title. Uh, and certainly not as biggest, but it, it's certain it, it is, I guess, Archer's proven to be sort of a formidable threat to him. So uh, we had Hangman was introduced by Tony Schiavone, asked about the upcoming Texas death match versus Lance Archer. Paige says he needs something, anything. He needs it tonight, so he challenged Archer to come out. Lambert made a second appearance on the show, flanked by Jake Roberts. Jake told Paige to shut up, and he sensed that fear. He sensed fear, Arch and Archer came out. Let's do this. Paige immediately hit a top rope suicida and sent Archer into the stairs. They went back and forth, and then Paige was eventually dropped with the blackout through the timekeeper's table. Archer said, he, Archer said he'd be the new AEW World Championship, and he doesn't give a, a damn what anyone thinks. Yeah, I mean, Archer's jumped the line. We talked about it for the last three weeks. To me, he doesn't feel like that guy who has a legitimate threat of winning the AEW Championship, so it's taking away from this feud. So maybe if I go back and watch this from in different with different eyes, maybe not educated eyes, it would certainly be more entertaining, but it's just not doing it for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to. I think you're gonna see Hangman get his ass kicked real good, which is good. But I also think that you saw him get his ass kicked real good with Danielson. So, you know, I think this will be a different type of ass kicking. You know, like I think there'll be a lot of blood involved in this. Um, you know, because I do think Archer is a threat, and I think you're gonna see that. And you know, I think this. I I think even losing could help Archer in a way. And I kind of like changed my mind on it tonight because the way he came out there and. I thought both things he did when he did the the choke slam onto the uh, the side of the steps that was great, and then he did the what was it? What's his move called where he holds you over his head? The blackout. Yeah, when he does that and he threw him over through the table, like you know, I think Hangman's gonna run for his money next week, and I think it'll take a lot to take down Archer. You know, I'm looking forward to a like a bloodbath of a match. To be honest, I think so too. I think we're gonna see a lot of blood. I know AW uh, is not shy about doing this, so I think this will be Hangman's. If not anything, a good photo op moment for him to be bloodied up and be standing tall after the Texas death match. And it fits the cowboy, you know, cowboy shit character. So it fits it. Um, I just don't understand, you know, with the ranking system, how does Archer jump the line? Someone's got to someone's got to talk to me about that. Uh, how does how is he the next challenger, especially after he's been gone for so long? I don't know. But uh, it will certainly be an entertaining match and Hangman's going to get the win there. But uh, I guess. Let's just enjoy the bloodbath. So we had Chris Jericho addressing the Santana and Ortiz stuff from last week. 
so he said he said them ignoring him during the match last week was embarrassing and disrespectful. He doesn't get their relationship with Eddie Kingston, and he wants to hear an explanation from their mouths. Jericho demanded an inner circle team meeting next week, so that's going to be on Dynamite. Maybe we get the inner circle breaking up, maybe not. Not sure where it goes, but uh, we're going to get maybe some answers next week in the ring. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about it? Um, well, I remember hearing Jericho say during it, he's going to get the whole inner circle in there, like you said. Um, so I think it's going to give us a vibe of who is still like that inner circle blood. And then who was kind of like on the same side of Santa Santana and Ortiz, because clearly they're not anymore. If you're asking me. So maybe you'll see it, you know, break up into two separate sides or separate entirely. Um, I think this is the best thing for Jericho right now because we keep talking about the decline. Um, so maybe this will give him some matches or, you know, something or other that'll help, you know, shape his character again because right now he's just not doing it for me. Like, like I said, it's like we keep talking about with him. You know, it's just he's just not doing it. You know, he gets out there, he gets in the mic, and you're just like, you know, that's unlike you go to take a bite of your food or something or get, a, get another drink, um, which is unfortunate. But maybe then breaking up, like I said, is the best thing for him, and now he can go off and do things on his own. Or maybe he finds a new group and starts a new inner circle with somebody. Or maybe he manages, like, I don't know, some another tag team or something. I don't know. My thing is, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm being super positive about it because, like, I want to see Jericho do well again. Because, like, you know, that's my big thing is, like, I want the best for him realistically, you know? So that's the way I'm trying to put it. Yeah. I think the thing is with Jericho, we, uh, we got to give him the benefit of the doubt that we know he can reinvent himself to a point where, even though what he's not doing right now is the most interesting, eventually he's going to find a way to make it interesting. And I know that what he's done in the last couple of feuds has been, not hitting the mark for most people, me including in that group, but I'll give him the, I'll give him some credit. I think if, if they go somewhere with this inner circle thing, um, I give him, I know he has the ability to reinvent himself and make it interesting. So uh, we'll see what he can do. And I, th- I think maybe if he's feuding with the inner circle or there's like an, a civil war with them, that could be fairly interesting. So like you said, it's, it's much better than what he was doing with the men of the year. I think it, it would be certainly more interesting than that, but Let's move on to the main event. The reason that we're here talking about hometown hero, Long Island, great MJF defeating CM Punk in his hometown of Chicago, Illinois. And I had texted the group that we were all talking about wrestling. And I said, and I quote chef's kiss. So I didn't give any more thoughts because um, I try to withhold my thoughts from typing them in group chats or wherever I'm talking about wrestling because I want to formulate them on here and have a conversation. Um, I don't really want anyone else's feedback until after I have this conversation with you because uh, I want unfiltered thoughts about the show and I don't want time to change my mind or be swayed by somebody else because what I'm giving you guys here on this show, Ace Field Retro, the reaction show, is certainly my initial reaction. Um, and my initial reaction was chef's kiss. I thought it was perfect, but I'll let you start. You seem like you're unhappy. Use this as a therapy session, Nick. I was bored during this a lot. Wow. Like a lot, a lot. And I didn't want to be, um, you know, I, first of all, I didn't realize it was the main event until the first commercial during the match. Cause they introduced MJF and then they went to commercial and CM Punk came out. Um, they went to a commercial shortly after that. 
like we'll be back with the main event. And I was like, there's still 40 minutes left. So like we had a lot of those early pin attempts and early roll ups. And I was like, this is like, you know, it's a good buildup. I was like, this is going to build into something great, I think. And, you know, I just need to stay patient and get through the boring parts. Um, the choke, what did MJF have when he was choking Punk? I didn't really have the volume up at work. Um, So it was like, it looked like a, not a belt, but it was something that could clearly choke him with it. So yeah. Okay. It like a, oh, it was wrist tape. That's what it was. It was wrist, wrist tape. tape. Yes. Okay. Um, when they went down, I was like fine with that. And then I thought it was like played off really well. I thought it was so well that like Punk was trying to get the referee's uh, attention and stuff like that. Like I thought the whole thing was so well done. But then it ended and I was like, oh, wow, like that's really strange. And then like the drop and everything was great. I thought that was really cool. Um, and then how he said the, the referee announced that the match is not over. It's going to continue. And I was like, okay. And then you had more drag out and more drag out to me. Like it just dragged too long. Like I would not have given this match the 40, 45 minutes they did. Um, and then the Wardlow thing, I guess I was just expecting different things from Wardlow during this, you know, because I hate that the referee blew this because I didn't mind MJF winning at all. I thought he was going to, but I hate that he kept his attention on Wardlow when Punk got back in the ring. And to me, like that was just, to me, it was just, I thought that was bad. I was like, this is kind of dumb. And I, to me, I just didn't love that part of it. So, but I love that the ring got involved again. Cause I only learned about that ring like a, like a month or two ago. So I was like, Oh, this is really cool. I kind of love this. Um, And then I was fine with how it ended, but I just didn't want to see it end with like, the referee f- looking at something that didn't really matter because it didn't. So that, that's what hurt me is the drag. Like I said, the length of the match, I think killed it. And then to me, like I said, a lot of people might not have noticed that the referee is just like, not that he's talking to Wardlow. Obviously Wardlow is trying to keep his attention, but to me, that was super unnecessary. Like Wardlow coming out freaking awesome. Him and punk getting face to face. Super awesome. Wardlow backing off. Awesome. The referee paying attention to Wardlow after Punk got back in the ring? Stupid. That's how I felt. All right. Well, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, I okay. thought the match was absolutely fantastic. I thought the pacing was really well for the two of their styles. Um, if you're looking at it through a lens of what Hangman and Danielson did, it's not going to be the same type of match. Uh, both of these guys' styles. And the way MJF is meant to piss you off. Like, you're left you want punk to get your, get his hands on him. And he does, he gets the rope breaks. He rolls out of the ring. He's a weasel and that's his character. And I think that affects the pacing in a lot of ways, but I think it overall fits everything that MJF is about. And I just think MJF is so immersed in who his character is. And he's so in tune with what his character would do in every single scenario uh, that, and it's obvious even in the ring. So I thought this was, MJF's shining moment in AEW so far. Obviously, the rub you get from beating Punk, cheating or not cheating once, cheating twice, cheating three times. That's MJF's characters. That's his MO. That's yeah. his part. It might as well be his finishing move at this point, cheating. So I have no problem with him beating him. Um, to me, it was one of the best main events in Dynamite history. One of the best main events I've seen in recent history as far as uh, wrestling goes. Um, but the one thing I will err on the side of is that the Wardlow thing, they need to pull the trigger on it soon uh, because it's bordering on sort of ridiculous at this point, because it's never going to get to a point 
where it's going to be believable that he turns. Because it's not like, and the ending we saw, and I'll go through the spots, but for everyone that didn't see it, the ending saw, and eventually if you watch the replay, he handed Max the ring. So he was in on it with him. It's not like Wardlow got cold feet and he was out there not sure if he can if he should attack MJF. He legitimately gave him the ring. I'm sure they have a larger story here, but similar to Batista and Triple H, it's almost like they would, and I'm not sure as far as the timeline goes, Batista wins the Rumble. He's trying to choose if he's going to wrestle Batista or Triple H. And then not long after that, they just pull the trigger and they do the thumbs down thing where he, he you know, you know, they turn on um he turns on uh, Triple H and puts him through the table in the contract signing. I think they need to pull the trigger because right now the crowd is begging to have someone to root for, and they have a huge potential star of Wardlow in their hands. So that's my one critique. I think you could have done this match in the same exact way without Wardlow getting involved. I think you could still have the ring get involved, just have the ring buried in the in uh, the turnbuckle or something and take it out. Um to defend the point about the referee being distracted. So um, Bryce Remsburg throughout the whole match, like, so th- I thought the announcers did a good job of defending the ref and his decision-making ability from the beginning. So the count out, you know, they were out of the ring for well longer than 10 seconds. They were there and talking about um, they were in the crowd and like the, the, uh, the announcers, JR and both Tony Schiavone were saying the ref knows how important this match is. The fans don't want to uh, count out. And that was simple enough. The ref had discretion. They said he's trying to get him back in. They don't want to count him out. The one thing I kind of had an issue with and um, was the issue, the thing with uh, restarting the match. Because, like, I, I think probably, like, I get as far as storytelling goes, restarting the match doesn't really make sense. Like, and I was having a long conversation uh, with Danielle about this because she was like, why wouldn't they just DQ him? Because the thing is, he cheated. Absolutely cheated. They should just call the match because if you can prove he used it enough to restart the match, you have enough reason to DQ him and you have no choice. He used the weapon. Uh, But again, with wrestling storytelling and wrestling logic and immersing yourself in that universe, there is precedent to be set by a referee restarting the match because you want a finish. You want a legitimate finish. So I was okay with that. And then the fact that Wardlow came out and the referee was talking to him, I think because the referee, like every other fan, probably assumed Wardlow was turning. So the referee wasn't expecting him to give him the ring, and I think that's where you could suspend your belief. Um, but I thought the pacing of this match was great. Um, the bell rang with 40 minutes left, and I, th- I just think this is a huge, huge difference between WWE and AEW where 40 minutes left in the show, they gave, a- they gave us everything they had, left it in the ring, pacing or not, Spots or not, these guys both went out there and they they put on a show on free TV. You know, we saw wrestling for 39 of those minutes. The only minute that didn't happen in those 40 minutes was truly the the minute where they were deciding to restart the match. Yeah. So I was a huge, huge fan of this. And just think, I mean, AEW has given us three matches. We had the 30-minute draw with, with Danielson and uh, Omega. And then you had the... 60-minute draw between Hangman and Danielson. And then we had this match that I don't know the exact running time. I'd have to find the actual stats on it, but certainly went like 35 minutes. Like I think 35, 36 minutes in total. So this match, I, in my opinion, delivered. And I understand where you're coming from as far as pacing goes because it's not nonstop action. And MJF style is just 
he plays the cowardly heel that's constantly trying to get away. And that gets frustrating yeah. to watch. But I think that's intentional. I don't think it's something that uh, – I don't think it's an inability for the guys to work together. I just think it's MJF and Punk, including who MJF as a character is. Am I swaying you a little bit or no? Yeah, no. I mean, listen, I like I like MJF. I really do. Um, you know, and I think that, like, rat of a character that he is is amazing. Like, it gets under your skin that he crawls out of the ring – at the perfect time. And if it gets under my skin, it gets under the skin of the person he's facing, which makes it even better because you just get sick of it. And then it makes me think like this person wants to literally kick the crap out of him. And it's great. That makes for great wrestling. Um, I did not notice the, that Wardlow handed him the ring. I guess I, I don't know how I missed it. I mean, unless it was like a nonchalant thing. He that... held his hand behind his back. I didn't catch it on the first go. They showed the replay right before the show ended. And then when they got back in the ring and MJF was like hugging him, he took the ring back out of his tights and handed it to Warlow and put it in his pocket. Further telling you that the referee was like, because he they restarted the match with the the wrist tape. It was good. It was really good storytelling, and I thought no, I think the story was great. I like I said, and the, I didn't mind the pacing. Like I said, it just wasn't action packed for those first twenty minutes for me, um, which is fine. You know, I guess I just wanted more of. Uh, yeah, no, I guess I, I guess I like just gave up on who MJF was, and you know, like I said, yeah, you are swaying me. Did I still? Would I give it a chef's kiss? No, I can't. Fair enough, and I understand that. I understand people. You know, I would be curious if you watch if like watched again, maybe in like a couple days, and see if you feel differently. But it's not the same match as Danielson and Hangman. It's it's just not. It's not the same right. type of match. And I think MJF a lot of times plays victim to the type of wrestler he has to wrestle as. Yeah, and I think what makes him great is also what makes him frustrating to watch because if he goes, we've seen MJF go out there, like his match with Jungle Boy, he went out there and was wrestling a style which like he just wanted to prove himself and it wasn't playing the cowardly heel. There were certainly heel, heel tactics, but he wasn't hiding. He was going right after Jungle Boy and keeping pace with him. So I think he can keep up with a guy like Danielson and wrestle that, like, that type of style, uh, but he was playing the ultimate chicken shit heel in this match with CM Punk. And I thought it took away from the quality, but I think it upped the storytelling, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I agree. Um, also, I do want to give a shout out to MJF's. Was it just the elbow pads that had the pinstripes? Or did it his whole tights, whole attire had the New York very Yankees well done. attire. Very, very um, well done. You know, nothing more heelish than the New York Yankees. Um, I'm not sure what Chicago's beef is with uh, our, well, my beloved. I was going to say our, you're, you don't hate, you hate them. My beloved New York Yankees. I don't know what Chicago's beef is, but uh, playing it up. Um, but as a Long Island guy, I feel like he'd be re- repping the uh, the Mets. But I guess the Mets are really not. They're the babyface underdog. So Yeah, and I don't know. It, 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 the pinstripes just look so much better than, like, what was he going to do? Or, like, blue with orange? Like, to me, that just, you know, the pinstripes yeah. just do it for me. Well, just wait till the Islanders win the cup and he starts wearing all the Islander gear. So that'd be amazing. Oh, yeah, I guess we'll wait, like, three more years. That sounds good. <laughs> Oof. I mean, tough loss with the Isles today. Um, so going through the spots of this match, I thought there were some awesome things that went on here. Uh, so we saw Punk starting to come back in the middle of the match with strikes and a swinging neck breaker. He followed up with a signature corner knee into a running bulldog. Punk called for the GTS, but MJF rolled out into the apron where Punk slammed him and Punk let a fan strike MJF and climbed across the ropes. Did you see the fan slap uh, Punk in the chest? I mean, MJF in the chest? No. He like held him back and a fan gave him a nice slap right in the chest. Would have been an all-time moment for me. That's um, awesome. 
MJF stopped Punk's offense by pulling the official in the way with the referee's back turn to use the tape to choke Punk and then hit it with a sleeper. MJF locked on the body scissors and Punk faded, leading to a stoppage about the 15-minute mark. I was waiting for Punk to have the arm go up after the third. Me too. And just dropped. And I was like, this match is over? Are you kidding me? Me too. So he hid the tape in his armpit. Referee raised his arm. The tape fell out. The ref talked to Justin Roberts, said, you know what? We're not ending this match. We're restarting it. Uh, they had everything going. His whole music, everything. I thought it was over. And I was like, we're going to get another 25 minutes off to the show. I guess Keith Lee is coming out. I guess they're going to do something else. Or get more of those. Something has to be happening. MGF stopped um, celebrating as the tape fell out from under his arm and the official restarted the match. Uh, so Punk immediately rolled up MJF, and the, the crowd was wild after they restarted the match. So this is when the match picked up. Like you mentioned, the first 15 minutes, I guess, was slow. They were working at a very methodical pace. It got going after this, and you have to at least admit that. they huh? Punk got the near fall with the roll-up, uh, hit a huge, fast fl uh, flurry of offense, including 20 punches in the corner, crowd counting along with them with every punch. Uh, MJF sent Punk crash into the floor ahead of another commercial break. Upon return, Punk countered a heat seeker and landed a springboard clothesline. Uh, so now moving on to the end of the match, uh, we had the return after I don't even know how many years. I, I definitely didn't see the Pepsi Plunge ever in his WWE run. It had to be. So let's see. He signed with Ring of Honor from to WWE from Ring of Honor in 2005. So it's been 16 years since we've seen 17 years since we've seen uh, the Pepsi Plunge, which is the top row pedigree. He hits it. Amazing. MJF landed on his knee. I mean, you can't blame the guy for not just going face first on the top rope. Um, however, he landed hard and couldn't follow up. Both men went for the tombstone apologize before Punk landed a roundhouse kick followed by a top rope elbow drop for a good near fall. I had no doubt that Punk was winning in my mind after all this happened. I was like, there's no way they give MJF the win now after getting that, that first win. But you can't use conventional wrestling logic with AEW. They don't do what you think is going to happen, which makes it so much fun to watch. Absolutely. Because if this was WWE, Punk is getting the win no matter what. I mean, Punk is not because I hate Punk. But I'm saying that guy, the opposite of what happened is, you know, the baby face is getting the win and getting his big moment in Chicago. Yep. You thought he was winning, right? MJF? No, Punk in the beginning, like after he got that. The I did start to believe, you know. Cause he, you know, at one point, it was when, cause during all that, during the clothesline, and at one point hitting him with the running bulldog out of the corner, um, MJF stopped rolling out of the ring, and I was like, maybe they're gonna have MJF, maybe maybe Punk's gonna win this. Who knows? Let's see. Cause even I from been, the top, I been like, so mad. I, you'd be seeing me very angry on here if Punk would have won that match. I, I would have been fuming. No, I get it. And you know, back to what we keep talking about with keeping people safe. I mean, I think this loss for Punk wasn't a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. You know, I do want to see him and Wardlow go at it one more time. But, and I think that also could keep Punk safe because, you know, you can have him lose that and it'll be okay, you know? Yeah. So we saw the endings, saw Punk calling for the GTS. MJF fell out of the ring. Another great heel tactic. Wardlow emerged onto the ramp just to note he came out of the heel entrance, just so you noted, because I think AEW definitely, uh, make sure that they have a consistent radar of who's coming out of which side. So Warlow came out. He stepped over MJF's lifeless body outside the ring and faced off with Punk. I think everyone thought it was happening right here. I, I certainly thought it was happening right here. And I guess I would have been, I still would have been angry that MJF lost, but I guess it'd be a little bit better if Warlow was the one that did it to him. 
Uh, but he ended up backing off. Punk rolled MJF into the ring and Wardlow exchanged words with the official as MJF struck Punk with the dynamite diamond ring for the win. Um, and after the replay, we saw Wardlow, like I mentioned before, hand MJF the ring. And that was it. Uh, MJF got his historic win and he was laying on top of Punk for quite some time. Looks like he was talking to Punk, probably thanking him for giving him that big moment because just looking at MJF right now as what he's accomplished in his short career so far, 25 years old, clearly the future of wrestling, the top heel in wrestling, uh, the standard of what a bad guy should be in and out of the ring. Uh, this was the crowning moment of his career. I mean, he's had the two dynamite diamond rings. He has some big signature wins over Jericho. He's beaten Cody. This just means something. I mean, this is Punk's first loss in AEW. Uh, this is a, a catapult to the next level for MJF. And certainly seeing where this next level is, is, I mean, he's going to hop into a stratosphere that not many have been. And I, I'm looking forward to it. No, me too. I'm excited to see what they're going to do next and, you know, see how they continue to build his character and keep putting him over the top. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it also. Like I said, I don't not like the guy. I think he's great in every aspect because when I think about it, like to me, you'll probably call me crazy. Like we talk about how like Punk is the guy to come on the mic after a huge matchup to like kind of, you know, give you a little break. MJF is too. Like I almost see him as like, you know, that's kind of like the future of MJF, which I think is great. I don't know. In an odd way, I kind of see it that way. Yeah, he is. He just gets better and better at everything. Like I said, his character work, it's not just about being a heel in the ring. And I think what gets lost on a lot of different wrestlers and easy for me to say, I'm not the one developing a character and all that, but a lot of heels want to be a cool heel that people like, even though they boo him and then they're cheering him instead of booing him doing the wrong thing. MJF makes you boo him. He's consistent. Yeah. What he's having an autograph signing, flipping off a little kid uh, or exchanging words on Twitter or finding the right. Everything is so consistent and to the point where there's like one video on the internet where MJF is out of character and he's talking about uh, being on the stone cold podcast. And I think like the video is maybe it's not even on YouTube anymore, but he was like marking out about going to stone cold's house and talking about what a legend he is and all that. It's almost surreal seeing him be uh, humble. It's crazy because he is the character MJF, but you know, like every other story you hear, like I interviewed Phil Cardigan um, and I will be inter interviewing Jack Tomlinson who has history with MJF, who were mentored by MJF and trained with MJF. All you hear is what a nice guy he is and how much he gives to everyone in the locker room. Uh, and, you know, it, it's just crazy how the character uh, is so authentic that you can, it's hard for people to separate. Yeah, so I think I MJF is one of those people too where he only gets stronger around bigger stars. Like you build that roster around him and you give him bigger names and stuff, like he only gets better. Like he's just that guy. It's just it's it's weird cuz like having an AEW original guy beat CM Punk should seem like oh, I'm shocked. I wasn't shocked that this happened at all. And this win means so, so much. And it's going to have ripple effects for a long, long time that we will be seeing. I mean, this is going to have, I mean, it's not quite the Brock Lesnar ending the streak type of ripple effects, but this is going to be having 
long-term positive effects uh, for AEW and what happens with MJF and their young future as far as uh, he goes as his run towards inevitably becoming the AEW champion. We're going to be sitting here sometime soon talking about MJF starting a reign as, as AEW champion because he's that good, and I think he deserves to be there. 25 or not, he is the top heel in wrestling. I think he deserves a shot. I think he should be the one to beat Hangman. Me too. I think that, you know, maybe it's even that revolution because if if the timing is right, Archer loses to Hangman, the punk feud is over. What other person is more justified in getting a title shot than the guy who just beat CM Punk giving him his first loss in AEW? So no. uh, I certainly think it's coming. I think we're going to be getting um, – we're going to be getting the MJF title run soon. And I think the CM Punk, this win is going to be catapulting MJF, like I mentioned, into a different stratosphere. So we are moving towards Rampage on the 4th. So like we do every week, Nick, I want you to say if this makes you want to watch Rampage on a Friday or not. So we have four matches announced. We have Adam Cole versus Evil Uno. We have the FTW Championship on the line. Ricky Starks, the reigning champion, taking on Jay Lethal. We have Thunder Rosa taking on Mercedes Martinez. And in the main event, we have the TNT Championship, Sammy Guevara versus Isaiah Cassidy. Nick, the comic nerd, are you watching Rampage on Friday? Whoa. Two title no matches not enough to get to there. No interest in any of that, unfortunately. Because it's predictable that you know who's winning all these matches or what? Yeah, I think that, and I feel like it's just like, uh, I feel like you're throwing a few jobbers out there, unfortunately. I mean, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like everything on there, you just know how it's going to end or everything tonight. Like, I didn't, I wasn't 100% on Malachi Black and Brody winning. Like, you didn't know, you know, to me, you didn't know. Like, Especially with me, Pack returning, you're right. There's, there so was a shot. The like, when you put those four massive names out there against each other, you're like, this is going to be great. And at the like I said, I thought MJF was going to win the whole night, but they made you believe Punk was going to win. Nobody is going to make you believe that Evil Uno is going to beat Adam Cole on Friday night. <laughs> that's just an example, you know? So well, that's that just kind of probably already happened right now taped. And I think if you listen carefully, you can hear Evil Uno peeling himself off the mat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, what about you? Um, I won't be home. I'm actually going to be traveling in the next day. I'm going to right. New Orleans. Shout out to NOLA for the first time in my life. I'm going to be checking out New Orleans, Louisiana. But I will be back here Sunday for us to do our show uh, for a watch along. So to be determined what we are watching. Uh, but this, Matt, I mean, I've been having a good time watching Rampage. I think it's actually been some quality wrestling. And I think that's uh, – it's an hour. It's quick. I mean, four matches in an hour, it's – you know, not a lot of time, especially when you got yeah, to the commercials and all that. Uh, it's nothing groundbreaking. I don't think it's going to be a, a crazy good show, but I am interested in watching what Sammy Guevara and Isaiah Cassidy do. Uh, and in the FW Championship, I think we might see a title change there. I think we might see Jay Lethal beating Ricky Starks. But who cares? You know what I mean? Who cares? Like it's I know. Unfortunately, like, I'm trying <laughs> not to say that. Like, literally, I'm sitting here. Like, I just like, I forgot you can't see my hand. I just went like... No, but no. yeah, who cares though? Like, definitely championships unsanctioned. Who cares? Even, like, I want Jay Lethal to win that because I think he's a, I think he's, uh, you know, an electric wrestler, and I want to see more of him. And I feel like maybe Jay Lethal can make that belt mean something again. You Possibly. Know? 
So I think you'll see some of those like C card, B card wrestlers that we like get a chance at that. And that excites me. Um, you know, I will, I always have it on in the background, but like to me, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know. You know, I really hope Jay Lethal wins that. That's the match I'm actually looking most forward to. Um, and I think, I mean, the, the names in the show, just, you know, when you hear Adam Cole, Thunder Rosa and Sammy Guevara, you're like, Ooh, pretty. And then you hear you reversing and you're like, I don't have to watch, but, but like I said, I will watch, you know, it'll be on in the background of anything, but that's not the end of the world. You know, to me, it's just, it's one of those matches that it's like, I don't want rampage to feel like it doesn't matter. And I'm not saying I feel like it doesn't matter. No, you're right. That's a good point. It'll be big, do big things. You know, I think a good, a good barometer of comparing it to dynamite is like, we don't want rampage to feel like WCW thunder where you're just like, eh, it's phoning it in. It was just taped and who cares? It's just like at the B show. Uh, Rampage in the beginning, obviously Punk debuted on Rampage. We got some really good moments on Rampage, but uh, they—they they, the fact that it's taped takes all the all the zest from it, in my opinion. If it was live, different story. Even if you have this this exact card live, it's a different. It's a different story because at least you can kind of suspend belief that something can happen. Someone could debut. The thing is that when it's taped, you know nothing else happened because like you would have heard about it. Yeah, no, exactly. It makes it less interesting. Um... For sure, but I mean, like I said, it, it like you said, you know, the punk thing. Um, you know, there are matches on there that are still really good, and I'm not saying that these matches aren't gonna be good, you know. But to me, it's just kind of like ah, like I don't have to see what leads to Adam Cole, you know, hitting the Panama Sunrise on Evil Uno. You know, I don't need to see how it gets there. Like, yeah, it might be a good, but it could be a great match, you know, which is what AEW does. You know, like it's not like like I like Rampage more than I like Dark. You know, sometimes I'll throw dark on, but to me, dark is kind of like it's sometimes it's literally somebody you don't even know. And you're just like, all right, this is kind of silly, but it can still be a good match, which I look forward to where even two heavy names in the WWE end up not being a good match. And that scares me. Like, I don't expect that ever from AEW. I don't think we're ever going to get that from AEW, thankfully, but I just don't want to have that fear, you know, personally. Some good points there, Nick, but we're moving on to the AEW Dynamite lineup, and there's only two things announced here. We have the Inner Circle team meeting, as we mentioned before, and we have the main event, uh, the Texas death match between Hangman Page and Lance Archer. So, interesting card. I'm sure we'll get more announced throughout the week, and be sure to check out Acefield Retro on Instagram. I'll make sure I post the card and all that. I've been doing that pretty consistently for aw dark aw dark elevation rampage all the, all the good stuff i post the cards i'm um, trying to give you guys the latest in wrestling news so uh, make sure you guys check me out on instagram nick we have final thoughts on the show give me your highlight your low light and uh yeah give me your highlight and your low light and i guess something uh that you i guess pulled from the show as far as what you learned or maybe what you took away my odd highlight is gonna be that nyla rose match i thought that and ruby soho was a good match I really did. I was very much impressed with that. Uh, low light. Um, I'm trying to think. I also think the Lance Archer hangman thing was very good. Uh, I don't know. My low light, I guess, was... Oop. That's going to be impossible to find. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I have a low light. I'm trying to think if there was like a throwaway tonight. You know, I don't really think there was. Uh, as far as matches go, no, there it was light on matches this week for the first time in a while. I think we had just we had the Moxley match, we had the tag match with 
the Kings of the Black Throne, Nyla, and then the main event. That was really it as far as matches. You know, all right, I'm not going to give you a low light. I guess my low light was Jericho on the mic, but I mean, it wasn't bad. That's the thing. It wasn't a bad thing. It led to something interesting. So, Agreed. So I would say my highlight is undoubtedly MJF and Punk. I thought the match was great. Like I, you know, I was gushing over it before and um, I think they delivered there. And I think if you go back to a couple of weeks ago, being a jaded wrestling fan, you feel like you won't get what we got tonight in a, in a lot of ways. We're so used to that same match ending in some false finish where they're going to build towards the pay-per-view. They gave us everything and more in this in this match. We saw the freaking Pepsi plunge off the top rope from Punk to MJF. These guys went out there and stole the show. Great match. My low light, uh, like I said, I mean, it's hard. The match was, I mean, everything sort of had a purpose. I would say my low light is uh, what went on with Brian Kendrick, and unfortunately, like him being pulled from the pulled from the car. And I know you were on, on weren't on here with me, but. Uh, just him revealing himself to be a shitty person. Unfortunately, I didn't see uh, the high spots comments in 2013. I didn't know anything about it. So I was pretty pumped Brian Kendrick was coming to AEW because he's a talented guy. Uh, but I guess my low light is finding out that someone I really liked as a wrestler turned out to be quite a shitty person. So uh, that's my low light. Um, sometimes it happens. And I think Tony Khan made the right decision, as I mentioned before, taking him off the card because you know, he, he certainly is not a big enough star to give the benefit of the doubt. And of course, it's hard to give someone the benefit of the doubt where there's literally proof of him saying the things that he said on video. It, it's indisputable. So it's like cut ties, get rid of them. And I know Kendrick apologized on Twitter, but you now eight years ago, eight days ago, it doesn't matter. The things he said just were reprehensible and that has no place. So uh, good yeah. riddance. And I think, I guess a bright spot of his will or you got some shine in this match where Brian Kendrick was supposed to be there. And, uh, you got a good rub here. You, it was in a losing effort with Moxley, but they clearly had a lot of time allotted for that match. And Wheeler took a, an advantage of that and he looked great. So uh, certainly that was my takeaway. And um, I guess the other thing I really am I'm pulling away from this is the Danielson and Moxley thing. Uh, very creative on their end. I think it's a, a creative way to get to the eventual match. Uh, it'd be cool if they had them tag and be partners for a bit until we get to uh you know, them eventually turning on each other because, you know, Moxley can't get along with anybody. So we're going to be having that match eventually. And I'm looking forward to how we get there. It's not just the the linear path. We're going to go through the woods and go all around and figure out a way to get there. But I think ultimately we're going to like the, the end result. I just think the path they're taking is much different. My only question for you for next week, uh, where do you put Archer and Hangman first or last opening event or main event? I think I main event with it. Me too. I just think at this point, opening with the world title, it's almost reserved. It's almost bigger than uh, the main event. So I think this match is not, it's the main event because it's the title match. And it certainly would be the biggest thing they're offering on dynamite this week, but it's not, you're almost saying it's on the same level as hangman and Danielson and hangman. I mean, and uh, Omega and Danielson, it's, it's not on the same level. It's, you know, it's for the title, of course, main evented, but um, it definitely is not going to get the crowd off to like, holy shit, I can't believe they're starting with this. Like how yeah. I felt, like couldn't sit still when Hangman and Danison were getting started. I'm like, it's not even a pay-per-view. <laughs> so, um, no, yeah, I like it. But yeah, I mean, my final thoughts on this as well, just to kind of put it in a bow. And again, this is my personal opinion. You guys are watching this show. It's going to be Nick and, and my opinion. So 
And you may disagree. I just feel such a different way after watching an AEW show than I do after WWE. I feel exhausted. And you watch Nick and I, we're like bleary-eyed reviewing the Rumble, half glassed over because of the fact that we we endured six hours of of WWE wrestling. And there were some real bright spots. We talked about it. Go back and watch the Royal Rumble review. Um, this is not just trashing on WWE because they do some great things. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's so many things that don't make any sense and it's exhausting. At least here, if you don't like something like you had issues with the main event and that's okay. But I think you didn't have issues with the storytelling. You just didn't like what they delivered and that's okay. Mm-hmm. My thing is when you start insulting the intelligence of fans, both casual and diehard, then you lost me. So, I mean, when Shane McMahon is the final four in the Royal Rumble, it makes no sense. Like the guy is not even a wrestler traditionally, and he's only a few years older now, and he's dominated in competition where he's in the final four. What does that say about your roster? That makes no sense. Are we going to have Tony Khan go out there and be in the final four <laughs> in the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal next year? Just like it's it's, right. it's so asinine. But that's where I pulled from it. No, I like it. I thought it was a great episode. I was, you know, this is because I, I don't remember. I don't remember all the last episode, but I thought this episode all in all was good throughout. You know, and that's what I want to see is that two hour block on my Wednesday. I want that to be two good hours in a row. I don't want to see this and blah and this and blah and then good. You know, I want to see good throughout. I don't want to come home like I do on Monday, watch the main event of Raw not like it, text you and be like, hey, how was Raw? And you say, bad, and me hit delete and not watch the rest of it. You know, it's never going to happen with AEW, which is what I love. Well, there's a reason you and I are not on here Monday night after reviewing Raw, because true. Uh, I, don't true. Know, I don't think people would like what I have to say. I don't want to be so, I don't want to be negative. I want to talk about things I enjoy. And right now I am watching Raw. Admittedly, I do check it out. I But for the most part, it's, I'm a passive, I'm a passenger on the ride, on the road to WrestleMania. I'm definitely not uh, watching intently and I couldn't really care. Like, I'm going to watch it, but I couldn't really care. I'm not invested in the product. I'm AW. I'm very invested in what they're doing. And I feel like they have our best interests as fans in mind. And I think this show definitely showed it. Absolutely. But I hope you guys enjoyed watching this. I've been Acefield retro. That's Nick, the comic nerd. We will be returning on Sunday for a watch along. So please stay tuned for that. We will be announcing on Instagram, what match we will be watching. Uh, please be sure to check out uh, Nick's videos. He's uh, now over 300 subscribers. So congratulations, Nick. I'm very proud of you. Well-deserved. Thank you. So Nick has some good stuff going on his channel. The comic book community uh, definitely helped him out, pushed him over the hump. I think you're well over 300 now. So uh, very, very cool. I was uh, definitely proud of you. And I thought that was a huge, huge accomplishment. Thank you very much. It really was. It feels great to be there and to have all the support from everybody. And it's cool because, to be honest, you know, I'm finally clashing communities. You know, it's cool to go comic books to wrestling and it makes it better for my week, dude. You know, I always look forward to doing this and I look forward to our Sundays. So it just makes it awesome. Absolutely, Ben. Uh, make sure you guys follow my Instagram, follow Nick's Instagram for all the latest news on things that are going on. Like February 8th, I'm having Jack Tomlinson from Creative Pro on the show. We'll be interviewing him live uh, on the Bell to Bell interview session. So please stay tuned for that. There'll be other further guests that are going to be announced. I'm, I've been in contact with a lot of independent wrestlers, some familiar names you may know, uh, some that you're going to be happy you learned about in the future. Uh, but we are definitely using that segment to spotlight um, all different types of 
uh, people in the wrestling world. It doesn't have to just be wrestler. Uh, people that are in the ring, it's other people as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, a lot going on the channel. We will be continuing to give you guys the consistent content. Um, and I appreciate the support. So I've been Ace Phil Retro. That's Nick the Comic Nerd. And we'll see you next time, guys.